It's Thursday, August 25th. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated, joined by Pete Sampson from The Athletic. And this is Irish Illustrated Insider, our first double podcast uh, week as we are 10 days away from, is it 10? Nine, nine days away from Notre Dame at Ohio that's, State. It's not soon enough, Tim, is what it is. Yeah, it's not. It's definitely not soon enough. Uh, speculation is is losing its momentum at this point of the preseason. But uh, yeah, we had an opportunity yesterday to talk to the tight ends. We went to practice. I watched the wide receivers quite a bit. Tim O'Malley uh, was on the defense. Pete Sampson, I know that you were looking at Cam Hart. Let's start with Cam Hart and where we think he is physically. Yeah, he moved around okay. Um, you know, they didn't cut it loose in the first five periods. Like they did a sort of a sprint at the end of conditioning, which he did not do. But um, it super amateur opinion here, but like it looked like a guy that probably would play at Ohio State um, as long as he just sort of keeps recovering. But right. probably not somebody you're going to push it here on. August 25th to go right. out and probably somewhere in the vicinity up. of where he was with the hamstring against Oklahoma state. I mean, I I'm totally speculating on that, but I mean, it's kind of a similar situation. I don't, in terms of timing of everything, I, I don't know about the, I would just say I was encouraged by what I saw. Yeah. Tim, what'd you think? Well, I think to add further amateur phys- physician analysis here, um, <laughs> I, I think I said to Pete, I bet he couldn't play Saturday, but I bet he could play next Saturday. It was kind of yeah. how I looked at it. That was Wednesday's practice, and he didn't want to. I mean, you have a hamstring injury, you're, or you're not running a sprint anyway. That doesn't make any sense in practice for, no. for warm-up sprints. But, yeah, I would I would be skeptical if they are playing Saturday, but less so since he was out there practicing uh, for nine days from now. Yeah, and it's Cam Hart. It's a fairly experienced cornerback that has a high degree of ability. And so the week before game week, you're going to be very careful with him one way or another. An important note here, I didn't really think about it. Um, I mean, I know Mickey is his technical backup, but really the number one, if Clarence Lewis starts ahead of Tariq Bracey, and the only reason I think he would is because Bracey starts at nickel. I mean, Tariq Bracey can just have some snaps at Cam Hart's field spot too. Like they, you could do. That's 50, a good call. No, that's a really good for Lewis, call. 40 snaps for Hart and 75 snaps for Bracey and 10 for Mickey or more. So then, so then would, would Mickey be at corner and Bracey would be at nickel or vice versa? That I mean, that remains to be seen. Probably, yeah. Probably Bracy at corner. I I don't know. I don't know. It it doesn't really matter. I mean, I think that that I think that's a pretty good situation. If he's limited, they're feeling really good about Mickey and where Mickey and Bracy are uh, at this stage of camp. We talked to the tight ends yesterday. Uh, I got a kick out of Michael Mayer talking about crowd noise, and he just blocks it out. He doesn't hear any of that. I think you can tell by the way. He plays uh, that that that's true. Um, yeah, I actually believed him when he was telling us he doesn't hear the Yeah, crap. no, I do. Yeah, I do too. Uh, who was, was it? Uh, Eric Hansen asked, uh, you know, how did you become like this? Did you have some annoying siblings? Yeah. And he said, no, I don't think that's how it developed. But yes, I did have some annoying siblings. <laughs> that was a really up. good answer. <laughs> The siblings where, where are quite just, nice. What the where heck, just, Mike? Where he just shuts it. Well, yeah, that's easy for you to say they're not your siblings, but yeah. And I don't know them. I, I'm not trying to cast aspersions upon them, but Mayor said it, so I'm just yeah. following up with yeah. it. Was it was it was a funny little moment, but uh, gosh, we're even negative about people's family members now. Oh like, yeah, holy yeah. cow! Hey, and we talked. We t- you know, I that's the second time we talked to Jared Parker, and he's. I mean, he, he's he's energetic in the interview. He's cooperative. He wants to talk about his position group and his craft. And I, I enjoy talking to him. That's the second time. It's, it was fun. Yeah, I think he's a good position coach. Um, yeah, I think having – I asked him a little bit about just like, you know, you have some OC experience. You sort of try to affect the offense a little bit. And I think I was struck by how complimentary and how – I don't know if respectful is the right word or just like deferential maybe to, to Reese and how much he has learned from him or just sort of was like, wow, this guy does this at a very, very high level. So that was, but yeah, he's a good, he's a good interview. He could be a regular rotation guy for me. Truth work results. They, they, the, uh, the tight ends have those little wristbands, truth work results is his is Parker's mantra and it and and I think that that's interesting as a former coach I find that interesting from the standpoint of it starts with truth and he said truth is not always 
bad. Sometimes it's good. It's just recognizing where you are in your development, what you need to do, what your strengths are too. And then you put the work in, you get the results. So, you know, the coaching world is filled with little catchphrases and yeah. um, that's a good one. And, and I, and I totally agree with the part that it, it starts with truth and it uh, that can be good or bad in either, in, in either case. Um, Nordham had a verbal commitment over the night or in the afternoon. It kind of was sprung upon us um, early afternoon. Uh, Armel Mukum is a defensive end. Uh, he's from Woodbury Forest, which has produced Doug Randolph, CJ Procise, Greer Martini, all uh, at Notre Dame. He is a raw, he is a raw prospect. I mean, raw to the point of he's played six high school games of football, but man, the kid is wired. The, the kid is wired to be successful. He's physical. He attacks everything he does. You see practice reps. He goes hundred percent every snap. I think that there's a lot of ability there, but it's, it's long, long term. Right. He's, he just, he needs to play football. He just hasn't played enough football. It's kind of a, kind of a typical Notre Dame find, you know, you start to get used to the level that Marcus Freeman is recruiting at. And this is, this is a, this is a Brian Kelly type recruit, right? I mean, a guy that needs to be developed, but I think there's some long-term potential there, but it's going to take every bit of, of five years. Yeah. It's like, I mean, you look in the 24 seven kind of all-time commit rankings of defensive linemen. Um, and by all time, I mean, since I think 2000, he fits between Ade Ogundeje and Colin Hill. Um, you know, that's very much at the back end of sort of Notre Dame's all-time rankings. But I, I kind of, I, when I look at this kid, I feel like he's, uh, the body type is a little different, but like the story is similar to Darren Agu last year, who mm. at this point, I wish Notre Dame probably wishes that it had. Yeah. Um, Cause his body type is like, you know, longer and a little more Keon Keeley like um, this flip is seems like much more of like trying to get another guy who's a strong side end three technique than it is trying to replace the, the weak side end departure of, of the, of Keon. Yes, the timing obviously is unfortunate for Notre Dame fandom is when you sign a defensive end after losing your best prospect. <laughs> and, he, <laughs> and, he's ranked, and he's ranked 1,067th or something. Could have thrown a high four-star quarterback. Could have thrown a high four-star four-star quarterback in between. Would have been a little better, right? But yeah, I mean, Ogundeji and Colin Hill. I mean, Notre Dame fans would take Ogundeji and Colin Hill, that's for sure. I think one way of looking at it is he's as raw. He's more raw than Colin Hill because I know even though that defensive line had nothing compared to this one, I mean, Colin Hill had two sacks in his second game against the University of Michigan. That's that's a guy jumping right in. Ogan Deje, you figure he started to show out by he played and he played well against Clemson in a playoff game in his third year. Third year, yes. That's a that's sooner than I think people realize Ogan Deje because we considered him a late bloomer. He really started to play well in his third year. So I guess that's probably that's a good litmus. You you should start playing in your third year. Even he when forced, you're a yeah, he, he forced his way. He forced Mike Elston to play him right that's in his third you, year by by his effectiveness. Yeah, that's a comparison I've made in terms of career arc. Now Ogan was a, an upside to him. Yeah, course. yeah. I mean, I Ogan was a fifth round draft choice. Yes. Um, you know, that I'm sure it, it, I, I'm sure Armel yeah. Mukum would sign up for that right yeah, now. I bet he'd be fine with Ogan Deji's career yeah. uh, captaincy. Um, you know, though, Pete and I were talking. <laughs> Let's stop talking about Ade maybe when we're talking about this prospect. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Pete and I career were, arc is on. Is yeah, on and same. he and he's around that number, as Pete pointed out to me yesterday. And I thought, you know, the one the major difference without knowing anything about what Ogan Deji ended up doing. I think all three of us and a lot of people that cover Notre Dame looked at the Ogan Deji prospect and thought, you got to give that guy a chance. Look at those long arms. Look at that frame. Right. This kid's so, got long arms. So this kid is long. Yeah. yeah. That's, now, that's and Pete, you said, yep. I mean, he's a, you know, he's a strong side end. He, he, he does have some quick twitch to him, quick feet that you could say maybe long-term he would, he could be a Viper, but I, but his body's not, I don't think the body is going to, to match that he's a strong side end or a three technique and he should have considering the guys that he's coming in with and that are in the program he should have time to uh to to go ahead and, and develop now uh we were talking before we 
flipped record here when we thought they would announce the captains. Um, Pete, I think you said maybe announce Monday so that they're available to speak with us on Tuesday when we get into a regular uh, routine. You know, Davis and Patterson are automatic. I think Foskey and Mayer are pretty much automatic. They are automatic. If you go beyond those four, I've speculated as to, with Kaiser and, and Jason Adamalola. What are your thoughts on where this where this ultimately ends up? Kaiser, I would I could see Kaiser being voted a captain for sure. Um, I think that he's sort of respected that way around the locker room um, and around the program. So he would, I don't know, maybe automatic would be a little strong, but I really, really close. And I, th I think I would probably give, I would just nick him over like, you know, Bertrand and Bauer, who obviously are also very well. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree with top. that. I, I, I would be surprised if, if when the players in, you know, you don't know exactly how they do it. I know when I was coaching, yeah, the players sit down and vote. And then the coach, <laughs> and then ripped the coach has some, you know, not ripped it up, <laughs> certainly respected it, but you know, then the coach puts his, let's say puts his influence on it a little bit. Uh, I, I would, you know, I would, I certainly think Kaiser's in there. Jason Adamalola. I mean, certainly from a lead by example standpoint, he's been, he's been fantastic. Um, the the six that I mentioned are three offense, three defense. And so that, that works out pretty well. And I don't like the Davis Pat, like, well, Patterson is different, but like, I don't know if Avery Davis, like while he would be viewed as a captain, like I'm not sure how they want to work that since he's not playing this. Well, year. he couldn't, he couldn't be a captain in a typical, no. typical regard. No. He couldn't, you know, so that's probably more in name. So then would you name an extra one so that you, you know, I don't know we're, we're going to find out here shortly, but those are the leaders. And I think that, you know, if Brandon Joseph was here longer than a minute, he'd be a captain. I, I would imagine uh, if he, if there's, if he comes back next year, which the only way in Brandon Joseph's mind that he's coming back next year, it's not even in his mind. The only it's way not, that I, yeah, I was wrong. Yeah, yeah. The only way that I, yeah. The only way I see that happening is would be something unfortunate, like an early injury, which, nobody wants. So, um, you know, he probably won't have an opportunity to be a captain in 2023, but it's a good group. There's plenty of leaders to choose from. I mean, there's other guys that are, I mean, lugs a leader in his own right. Certainly Michael Vinson is a leader in his own right. Maybe they name him one of the captains, Michael Vinson. I mean, he's so universally respected within the program, but I don't know. We've had special teams guys before I've objected to some of those in the past. <laughs> but not Tyler Newsom, And I wouldn't object to Michael Vincent because they, they earned it. Yeah. I think there's just uh, I think Marcus Freeman said it best. I mean, if we need to name captains to find leaders, we're in trouble. He has, they have plenty of leaders. That's, that's, that's the SWAT team origination by Bayless. And I guess, and I think Brian Kelly uh, was a great idea. They've been able to flush out leaders in the offseason yeah. by doing that. And it, it works out well. Yeah. Good call. Hey, this segment of Irish Illustrated Insider has been brought to you by Circa Resort and Casino. The biggest pro football overlays in Vegas are back with 12 million in guaranteed prizes only at Circa Sports. Two ways to win with no rake. Circa Sports million with quarterly payouts and 100% payback. Play Circa Survivor and select one team each week with no point spread. Take in the big money with 12 million in guaranteed prizes. Enter in Vegas, play from anywhere. Visit CircaSports.com for details. Coming back, segment two, you know the name, Burning Up the Boards. This is Mike Brown, former Notre Dame Leprechaun, here to share the Leprechaun's Game Day at Notre Dame, an officially licensed children's book that celebrates the magic of a football Saturday at Notre Dame. Follow me on an adventure from Step Off Under the Golden Dome to ND Stadium with this perfect gift for fighting Irish fans. Visit www.lepgameday.com and enter Irish to get your author signed copy today. Go Irish! Here's another Irish tale presented by Do Dublin Tours. Visit dodublin.ie to book your tour today. There was a period of time in the 19th century in Ireland known as the Golden Era. At its peak, Irish whiskey accounted for 60% of the whiskey sold all over the world. Irish whiskey sales sadly declined for a number of reasons. The introduction of mass production in other countries, 
using more advanced technologies that the Irish were reluctant to use, along with the War of Independence and Prohibition in the US. The Irish were reluctant to speed up the process, opting for quality over quantity. As a result, the last distillery in Dublin closed in 1976. If you'd like to know more, do Dublin with Do Dublin Tours. Burning Up the Boards is brought to you by Game Day Your Way. Notre Dame football fans, make your trip to South Bend easy this fall with the help of Game Day Your Way. Services include tailgates, transportation, tickets, and more, making Game Day your one-stop shop for your Notre Dame football weekend. Learn more at gamedayyourway.com and use promo code IRISHPOD22 to save 10% on your tailgating package. Segment two, burning up the boards. First question comes from JCMF. Is Ohio State's defensive line as good as reported by Holly Rowe? Holly Rowe apparently said the Ohio State D-line is going to be spectacular after leaving a uh, practice. She did, and I saw that. I I, I saw her video before uh, I read the question and included the question, and I included the question because I don't think the Ohio State defensive line is going to be spectacular. I think it can be very good. But I haven't seen anything that says it's a spectacular defensive line. Uh, Harrison, Vincent Williams, and Tuiamolo. I, I, I think it's a very good line. They're they're physical, um, but I don't see that as a spectacular defensive line. And I and I think Nordame, especially if Jared Patterson can can hit the ground running, uh, can have a good day against them. It's a, I mean it's a talented, very talented line based on its recruiting profile, which. At this point, like if you're a if you're a former five star prospect, but you're in your fifth year of college, or even if you're in your fourth year of college, probably your career has not gone the way you thought it has gone, which is what is true for Teron Vincent and for Zach Harrison. Um, but look, if I mean if Notre Dame had four five star prospects rolling through its defensive line. Um, I think we'd be talking about how it might be one of the best in the country. The the issue with Ohio State is like there's no Joey Bosa, there's no Chase Young. Like they don't have the absolute freak dude coming off the edge that you have to set your entire game plan around. Um and that they have big time recruits who are supposed to be that guy but they haven't turned out to be that guy in practice. So should be a good defensive line, but I would take Clemson's defensive line over Ohio State's oh, 10 times abs- out of 10. Oh, yep. absolutely. 11 times out of 10. Absolutely. Yeah, spectacular. That yeah, is that's... a spectacular defensive line. Georgia defense 2021 entering the season, you could say that's going to be spectacular and not use hyperbole. Ohio State's offense entering 2022, you could say that's going to be spectacular and not use hyperbole. Alabama, spectacular program. <laughs> not exaggerating, but I think we're getting a little lost in words and usage here. If a good group that looks like it could be better than last year's is spectacular. I mean, like, would you ever say Notre Dame's front seven is going to be spectacular, even though it's the best part of their, or would you say, man, I, I really like that front seven. They're going to keep them in this game. Yeah. It's going to be a, it's going to be a good battle. Well, spectacular is too great of a word for the situation. One thing that I, you know, again, I, 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 each day I try to spend a little time watching Ohio state from last year, which isn't as accurate a depiction as what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks when we start seeing, uh, real-time games, but two things stood out to me about Ohio State's defense, which we know was inconsistent when they played against the better competition last year. Number one, they did a terrible job of sealing the edge, especially Zach Harrison. And again, I'm not I'm not saying he's he's not a good football player and he's not going to take the next step up, but they did a terrible job of sealing the edge, and their linebackers missed a ton of run fits. So that's what you know, as I watch this and not knowing exactly how much progress they've made going into game one on September 3rd, um, this is still a defense that's a little bit vulnerable, but they have Jim Knowles, who I know is going right. to make them better. But we also know that a lot of times first-time coordinators, the message, and that's true for all Golden, too. I know that Marcus Freeman's still there, but that first-time, you know, run-through with the players it usually takes a little bit of time before they get up to speed with the new coordinator. Not apples to apples, but you watched Notre Dame's offensive tape last year of the offensive <laughs> line. You would say Notre Dame's offensive line is not that good. I don't know how much they can improve in one year. I watched them last year and they were terrible. And But, oh, they have Harry Heastan. He might have trouble getting him up to speed by game one. So we like Notre Dame's right. offensive line with Harry Heastan, and I like Ohio State's defensive talent with Jim Knowles. Yes. Yeah. 
neither one is necessarily spectacular at this point, though. <laughs> no, but they'll have the opportunity to be. Matt's Rogers asked, do you see this offensive line being able to consistent to get a consistent push in the run game? Pass blocking could be outstanding, but I don't see any maulers up front. I like the question because I hadn't thought of it. Those are always uh that was it. Yeah, I mean, we love the Joe Alt Blake Fisher pass blocking tackle tandem. Jarrett Patterson been a very effective pass blocker, and it was, I believe, Isaiah Foskey that I asked him about Patterson. And oh, I'm sorry, it was Howard Cross. He said his greatest strength is I get through on the other side. I'm coming around and somebody on this offensive line this year, this camp always hits me. And it's usually Jarrett Patterson before I'm getting to the quarterback. I thought that was a, but again, that's pass blocking. I thought it was a really good um, point by Howard Cross. I guess if Blake Fisher isn't a mauler, like, I don't know what, like <laughs> Isaiah Foskey <laughs> w- willingly admitted that he put him on his back in the middle of training camp, which is, I mean, that's, it was a pass pro drill, but like, I feel like they should be able to run on the outside, uh, especially if you've got a, as we've seen in camp, like a Fisher mayor combination block on the edge, like good luck to you. Um, I think you're going to get mauled in that case. So yeah, it's not, it's not Nelson McGlinchey <laughs> bars must This line is not that level of talent, but I think it, I think it should be really good. Yeah. That's exactly what I wrote down. I mean, I would certainly put Fisher in the mauler category, Patterson's never been a mauler. I mean, I think he's a very, I think he's a very good offensive lineman, uh, but I don't, you know, I wouldn't put him in that category. I think, you know, Josh Lug has not been consistent, but that's one big dude that's a six-year senior that's going to provide some physicality, especially with him working under Harry Heastan. And Joe Alt's going to take the next step. Um, you know, Corral's a mauler in his own way. He doesn't have the you know the leverage and the the stature that some guys do but he's a mauler in his own way but i think he might, I agree he might have the leverage right he might have yeah, the leverage and yeah, not the stature. Yeah. yeah but i but i thought it was a good question i thought it was a very fair question next from pd halls you have three choices for quarterback this season knowing what you get with the first two but rolling with the potential on the third and these seasons are very important pd halls knows his stuff Deshaun Kaiser, 2016, that is not his good year. Ian Book, 2019, that's the year they lost to Michigan and played in the Cheez-It Bowl. And Tyler Buckner. Because if I said Ian Book, 2020 or, you know, 2018, he was the MVP of the team in 2018. And Kaiser was That's why at first I was a little confused. I'm like, 2019, don't you mean 2018? But I get when I see what Kaiser, where he lists them, I – you know, I think Tyler Buckner is going to have a very good career. I, I mean, I, I, I truly do believe that as a runner and a passer. Um, I really, it's a, again, it's a, it's a challenging question. I, I want to, I want Tyler Buckner to be Nordame's quarterback from the standpoint that he needs to get his career really launched here. And the sooner the better now. So I, the combination of Tyler Buckner, the potential in the passing game, and certainly we know what he can do in the running game. I, I, I want to see him now, and that's who I would choose then and now. Well, maybe not. I, maybe I not. Maybe I, would, I went after Kaiser's 2015. Oh, uh, yeah, that's the yeah, thing. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the, pro- the problem is, like, you're, you're viewing Kaiser. This question wants you to view Kaiser after 2016 as if you could recreate that year and like <laughs> i i was surprised how meh he actually was um when i went back and looked at the stats like i i i thought he was better in 2016 than he statistically actually was um you know book in 2019 i guess if you can bring chase claypool along for the ride um that would if you could get that stat line from tyler buckner i i think books 2019 will be a more prolific year than what Buckner has in 2022. Yeah, I think the but I think the the book thing if you think of 19 is you have 10 touchdown passes against Bowling Green and New Mexico State. You have a bad game that they lost with Michigan and then you have the Cheese It Bowl. And that's what people remember from that year, fair or not. I mean, people remember better things from 2020 and 2018 than they do 2019. 2019 was a frustrating year cuz you just thought 
we really thought coming into that year, this podcast, that Ian Book was taking the next step that year after his MVP rookie-ish season of 2018. And he wasn't that much better. Statistically, he was a lot better, but that's that's a function of who you play. If Tyler Buckner throws 11 touchdowns against Navy and UNLV, but one against Clemson and USC, I'm not going to think of him as having a great statistical season, even if he does. But I would take Buckner on these three. Um, early early prediction of Monday Musings was stat line similar to Kaiser in 15, his good year when he, yeah, it's about 11 and a half games, right? 31 total touchdowns, if you count rushing, receiving, and 11 total turnovers. I kind of see that range. Um, it was 10 picks. I remember a fumble against Stanford. I actually don't remember if there's another fumble. I should look that up. But I'm saying 11 turnovers for Kaiser because if there was another fumble, I don't think it mattered like the one against Stanford did in the red zone. But yeah, the 31 touchdowns, 11 turnovers for a 10-2 and two contending team. Feels pretty close to a nice launching point for Tyler Buckner's career, right? Just like yeah. it was for Deshaun Kaiser. Here, here's why... Here's why I'm bullish on Buckner with the, the reservations that we've talked about in the past. I think TD production, whether it's you know the combination of passing and running, I mean, we all we all agree that he's probably a double-digit rushing touchdown yeah. guy this year, or there or thereabouts. And then the other thing is, I, I think Nordame's Nordame's red zone should be really, really they should be really good, and a lot of it's it. I mean, it stems from Buckner and what he can, his ability to, once he pulls the read option back in, he turns it up incredibly quickly. And it's, it, it, the defense may know it's coming, but his first step is just so explosive and quick that I think that they should be really, really good in the red zone. So, you know, he's got, as you know, he's got to be accurate. He's got to prove that he can be accurate. I used a quote yesterday from Tommy Reese in the spring uh, and it's like, when a guy is open, he doesn't not only has to hit him, but he has to hit him right where it needs to be in order for, you know, yards after the catch and stuff. So I am bullish on that standpoint because I think the combination of run pass touchdown production and uh, what he can do to spark the red zone offense is, is going to be significant. Honestly, though, also if Tyler Buckner has only seven rushing touchdowns and 20 passing touchdowns, but he has 11 runs where he runs Notre Dame into the red zone and autographs right. and he scores. Right. It's a heck of a job right. by Tyler Buckner. It doesn't yeah. have to be like, I would, you know, Ian book scored three touchdowns in his first start in 2018 against Wake Forest. We weren't all watching the game going, Oh my God, look at that guy. Those three one yard runs. It didn't matter. He scored four touchdowns in his second year as a starter. It's Tyler Buckner is going to put Notre Dame in position for many points this year. I think that's a good call, Tim. Uh, question from Capelli based on what you've seen and heard about Steve Angeli. If Buckner has a season-ending injury, do we even say those words out loud? If Buckner has a season-ending injury in week one, what odds would you give Drew Pine or Steve Angeli to be the starter in the Coliseum to end the season at USC? I go heavily, heavily in Pine's favor here. The only problem with Pine is Pine's the first one in. So he would be the one that has to make it through 10 more games at a very high level. Right. It's like, yeah, but but based upon the way the questions asked pine stays healthy through the the whole thing. I think pine would be the starter. I think they, I mean, if there was any quarterback competition at all, it indicates that they want to give pine a chance because he deserved it against Tyler Buckner, who's a superior player. So I think they're ready to roll with pine. If Buckner gets hurt. Yeah. If pine's healthy, hundred percent, he's the starter. Yeah. I I think we've all been impressed. I, I haven't seen, I, I have not seen a red flag with Angeli. No, that's like, a good point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We're grading I mean, on a curve, creating right, a curve, got, of course. Right. 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 He's, he, he has stature. He has, you know, he was the one opportunity in the blue goal game. He let him down for a touchdown. I like the way the ball comes out of his hand. I think he has a, a, a pretty decent degree of, of presence on the field for, for a true freshman, but, you have to keep in mind, I mean, the mastery of the playbook, which Ian book, if, if it's not a hundred percent, he's right there as far as the mastery of the, the playbook now execution, all that and size and that, that, that all comes into play. But I, I mean, I just, we don't know where Angeli is in terms w- with the playbook and handling all that stuff. So, I mean, I would think the odds would be very, very slim of unless Angeli between now and then, or, Maybe even now he's that close. Has Tommy Reese said anything about his mastery of the playbook? I'm not sure that he's been presented with that question or not, but this isn't, I mean, 
looking at it from a coach's perspective, Drew Pine knows the offense and Steve Angeli probably doesn't. Not yeah, to the extent. But, well, not, he's about to go to the extent. scout team. He's on the scout team too. Right, so exactly. So that yeah. so that's good. That that will yeah, so that's a good point. Stuff. That that yeah, that yeah. will stunt his development in during the 2022 season. Next from Pin and Pole. What true freshman burned the red shirt in 2022? And this is much better to answer than would have been two weeks ago. Yeah. I think we have a good idea. I've got I've well, I'll tell you what, I'll throw out the first name. You guys take turns and we'll go go All around. Right. Beautiful. Um Mickey. Yes. No, I'm going to say a name. You then now you say oh. a name. Well, yeah, we all have to agree on that. Okay. Too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah sorry. sorry. Yes. Mickey, I no. Don't know. What kind of game are we playing here? <laughs> I don't know, but it's ruining the bar of the yeah. bar atmosphere of this yeah, game right now. We're, yeah. We're, themselves talking we're about. Play, we're playing it on the fly here. Sorry. <laughs> Tui Halamaka. Merryweather. Uh. McPherson. I was going to say, we talked to one this week. McPherson. Yeah, McPherson. All right. Now I get into, I think there's four game situations for players. I think if I have to pick one more, I'm picking Morrison. But I'm going to ask you guys a question. Don't you think they can get four games out of all these players in special teams and whatever else? Holden stays, Eli Raritan, Tyson Ford, Josh Burnham. And if he develops because of special teams and stuff in a backup rover, Sneed. I don't. I mean, I don't think Ford and Burnham really are. are well, Burnham's on to be anything Burnham, more than a. Red they're shirt. on varsity though, and they got to play. You got to play twelve games. So, like, if you're on varsity and you got to play twelve games, and Burnham, I thought was might have been starting on a on one of the coverage teams. I was looking okay, at too. Fair enough. Um, and Ford kept his jersey. And that's my new. That's my new saying for camp. By the way, keep your jersey. You're on varsity. Instead of get on the bus, you keep your jersey. Um, so I think those guys could all play four games though. If you have a healthy Bauman Mayer and Maybe maybe more from the tight ends. I, I haven't watched enough of special teams like mm-hmm. that I, diligently to know like who's where and what. I would just yeah. I wrote down eight guys and it's like maybe you could and it's really seven and a half in the sense of like maybe you play Raritan but not stays. Maybe you play stays but not Raritan. Like yeah, maybe only one guy goes over four. So you games try to get eight games out of those those two. Yeah, that if you kind have of to thing? get yeah, if you have yeah, to get you twelve, you can that. get eight and four yeah. or whatever. Yeah, I, I feel I, like the only freshman I'm like, well, there are two freshmen on special teams who I'm pretty sure are going to burn it. McPherson, obviously, but I think Tui Halamaka will will definitely yeah, burn definitely. it as well. He starts on every from what I've watched. Tui Halamaka is out there on every special teams. He was taking reps post-practice with McPherson and Sherwood yesterday. Like those guys are uh, not McPherson, excuse me. Um, John Sott. Yeah. I am really looking forward to watching the development of new athlete to Alamaca because he's, he's going to be really good. Uh, Jared Parker said yesterday, Raritan and stays. I mean, I don't have the exact quote on, on my lips here, but I, that they're both, they're going to they're going to use them at, during this season now, yeah, but you can use them for four games too. No, I no, but I mean it sounded like more than that, you know. And I don't like where are they moving? At, are they ahead of Kane Barong? Uh, yeah, I, based I, on I, practices. Well, right, and I kind of right. and I kind of suspected from the way the discussion went with the tight ends that they were with with Jared Parker yesterday. So. I think you're right. The way he said it, they're going to get the opportunity because they've earned it yeah, on, the front, on the front end of this. So, and don't yeah. you think sometimes, I mean, there's, there's too much emphasis on trying to preserve it. Just play them. I mean, oh, they're, yes. they're good. I, I mean, yes. they're, right. They're good. They're good. I mean, they, we know they're going to be good. So just play them. They're outside probably not going to be around for five years anyway. So no, no outside the guys. We, uh, the only guy we named that could be the five-year guys would be like Ford and Burnham could could benefit Tyson Ford could benefit from being able to come back like Khalid Kareem did. Are you kidding? We can't act like it's impossible to come back for a fifth year if you're a good defensive end. Yeah. Like there, there's guys that can come back for a fifth year. We just said oh Adi Ogandeji. He could come back for a fifth year. Like it's offensive line and guys like Ford can be you could preserve them. Howard Cross and Jacob Lacey are going to start next year because they had a chance to rent well Lacey's was COVID, but Howard Cross gets to be back next year because we loved him. They played him four games. Yeah. Uh, I would, I would suggest, and again, Tim, you probably, you, you are a little bit more in tune with the personnel on special teams, but what about, what about, um, I always want to say Dusty Ziegler. <laughs> I just, I can't, I can't get Dusty uh, 
out of my I saw head. Him. I want to talk about Nolan Ziegler, but I, I, how, how involved has he been with special teams? I saw him earlier in camp with special teams. Um, he was, he was wearing a scout team number, but that's because they're in game week prep at this yeah. point. Uh, I would think if he plays, he's a four game guy because Nolan Ziegler could benefit from a fifth year. Jack Kaiser, JD Bertrand, Bo Bauer, yeah, Drew true. White, Nolan Ziegler, like all those guys. Um, yeah, that's we true. forgot there, Payne, Jabron Payne. I was just right going to say Jabron Payne. If something happens at running back, Payne would be the last guy that I suggest. And you're right, Tim, that, uh, well, they did it with Kaiser. I mean, they like Kaiser as a yeah. freshman, but they stopped like using him on special teams so that they would preserve the year. But with Raritan and Stays, if, if they're legit and you need them and you want to use them and they can help your offense, and you're going to need them too. So good yeah. call. That's true. I, I say, them. I just say, go for it. Question from a non two, seven, nine, seven, blah, blah, blah. Scout <laughs> Marcus Freeman has stated that he wants to be able to run the ball at will when compared to the play calling against Oklahoma state, how do you see the Reese Freeman dynamic playing out in terms of offensive balance? There were times during the Brian Kelly era when Kelly seemed to err too much toward the passing game. Do you see a better balance and more emphasis on ball control moving forward? First of all, when did Brian Kelly ever emphasize the passing game too much, guys? I'm not sure that. Oh, wait, that's no, that did that he did do that. That's true. That's, right, as I was looking through certainly. Kaiser's 2016 season, I was like, certainly not. And he completed 30 percent of pass. Oh, NC State game. <laughs> that's, that's a good. No, it's a, it's a very good question. Um, I mean, when compared to Oklahoma State game, that I I can't imagine if they abandon the run, it's going to end up worse than the Oklahoma State game did against. The horseshoe. Well, and, State. And, that, that was ridiculous. I mean, I know I they mean, couldn't run, but they also didn't have a good offensive line. So my question there is to this, <laughs> to this day is how Tyler Buckner can't come in to help an offense that cannot run the ball whatsoever to save its life in eight possessions, but it's over. So it's not my job to figure out when just telling I, you, yeah, you could have helped. I, yeah. And I don't disagree with that, but again, I, 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 I wrote about that. I, I know there were three drop passes in the second half. If you're the offensive coordinator you're saying, why do I want to take Jack Cohn out? He just put it on his hands and he yep. dropped it on yep. third down. Because we can't run, but that's why. <laughs> that's the only reason. I see, no, I see. I certainly see both sides. I'm not strong one way or another on that. But I, when you break down the second half, there were some there were some physical miscues on the part of the offense that stopped those drives. But you know, I mean, I, I'm sure that the the decision with the ground game against Oklahoma State was done in accordance between Marcus Freeman and, and Tommy Reese, but Tommy Reese was the play caller and they did stay away from the running game there. So, but look, you know, Reese wants, he wants balance. I know a lot of people have said, you know, play keep away from Ohio State. I don't want Nordame playing like that. We don't, you don't want Nordame's offense playing like that. I mean, this is your quarterback. This is your offensive line where you like your running backs. You don't have you have a, a great tight end. You have depth there. You don't have a lot of depth at receiver, but the guys that you're putting out on the field to start, you feel pretty decent about. Those days, Nordine needs to move beyond that. I, I I don't think that you can just go into a game and say we're not going to run the football and expect expect to come out on top in a game like that. You mean pass? What did I say? Run the football. They're going to. They you know what I mean. You know how yes, easily yeah. I confuse my words. <laughs> the run in the past. Just when I do that, I, I'm asking. Don't just you just did it there. Do it more often when it happens because I know it happens more often. Yeah, I mean it's like they abandoned the run game three weeks before the Fiesta Bowl. Like the entire game plan was to not yes. run the ball. It's not like right. they started the game or like well, let's kind of feel our way. No, out no, here. no. You're absolutely right. Um, you know, and if Kyron Williams was out and your offensive line was really struggling. Then and you're going into top five run defense. I probably would not bang my head into that wall either. But you know, against Ohio State, they've they're not a top five run defense, and your offensive line should be better. It's surely it's better coached, and you have a mobile quarterback back there. I I don't think Notre Dame needs to play keep away against Ohio State, but I would if there's such a thing as like four minute offense or eight yeah, minute offense. Like that's the kind of style of offense. I think Notre Dame should play. I lean that way a little more too. And this, this is too small of a sample size, but like Ohio state's losses, they, they still got 80 snaps off 80 and 85 snaps off it. Sometimes like Michigan had 61 snaps in that win over. They had 18 fewer snaps than Ohio state and Oregon had 13 fewer snaps than Ohio state. You wouldn't, you would not guess that. But maybe it's because they know when you, you I do think Notre Dame needs to know when to downshift a little bit. Like we've 
overanalyze Michael Mayer scoring a touchdown to go up by 21 points with under a minute left at Oklahoma State, saying that was a bad thing. You know, maybe they do have to downshift a couple plays and think, hey, can we can we keep this momentum going? But points are the most important things. If any Notre Dame fan ends this game by saying they never should have scored those fast touchdowns, I mean, you need 35 points. Fast touchdown, slow touchdown, four-minute touchdown, eight-minute touchdown. You need yeah. you need plenty of points to win this game. And the reason Michigan only needed 61 snaps is they averaged seven yards a carry, and they yeah. scored six touchdowns on 61 snaps. So Six touchdowns if- are great. That's what you need to do is get the touchdowns any way you want. But I get it. I get what you're saying, Tim, that it's the days of – playing a yeah, little you know scared or over. From. I know exactly what you're saying. I mean, I agree with what both you guys are saying that there are times where, okay, let you can let it, you, you can let the clock run a little bit. I, I, I but to Notre Dame needs to, in order to get to the next level, they can't, they can't, they can't be at the stage where they're just avoiding running the football when you're playing your best comp, the best competition. I mean, no, you're not going to get to the playoffs. No, you're not going to, to win playoff games if that's the approach that you have to take. Next from N.D. Yinzer. How do you see the running back snaps shaking out in Columbus, assuming that Diggs is full go? Do you think we'll see an even split, more Tyree snaps from the slot? Is he forgetting Estime a little bit? Is he the only Notre Dame Yeah, because Estime is going to have the most carries against Ohio State. Yeah, I think so. you agree with that? Yeah, unless you count touches, maybe Tyree could be up there. But yeah, I know what you're saying. You know, carry. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. he'll have the most carries well Tyree in the slot against Jim Knowles defense I think you know that, that yes that'll be part of it Notre Dame had success with that yeah. uh, especially early in the game um Diggs I you know I, I I think you want to be a little bit careful you don't want he's he shouldn't be the guy that has the most carries right in this game no as he's coming back from this no definitely um not. so I would say estimate one yeah, when you put it in terms of touches, Tim, I'll say SMA one, Tyree two, digs yes. three. I agree. Distant third too. Help them out a little bit. Yeah, I think it's it's Estime and Tyree. Those are your one and one A, and then Diggs is your three. And it might for be this week. It might be Estime most carries, Buckner second most carries, Tyree third most carries, second most touches, and Diggs way behind those three guys in carries this yeah this but yeah week. that's a good point in infusing uh, buckner into that equation because he's going to run the football how many times yeah double digits i hope styles gets a i hope styles gets a jet i hope Lindsay gets one like those two could need to get one as well let's keep everything there's a not lot there's enough guys to come at ohio state you might as well use them and i want micah bell to get a jet sweep too oh we're gonna have to wait for that one <laughs> Uh, Terry Benedict, Terry Benedict asked, it was second and 20 and Michael Mayer caught a pass for 12 yards, but needed a breather and is out. It's now third and eight. Who are you going to? The defense appears to be double teaming Lorenzo Styles. I think that's I'm my... offended by this question. <laughs> timeout. Why? Time yeah, you, you call either you call a timeout. Timeout. So Mayer or you accept reality. <laughs> Michael Mayer is not coming out of the game. Yeah, Terry Benedict. Right. There are two things. All right. Uh, first of all, he doesn't come out. And two, you call a timeout if he has to. Yeah. If his shoe blows up he, and you got to redo have, it like it, Zion. Yeah, it would have to be a shoe <laughs> blowing up or an injury because he's not coming out for a breather. He doesn't get injured, point. though. But so. that's not really yeah. the point of the question now, is it? I think it's a, I think no, it's a pretty, I don't know. Who is question. your call? Who is your call? If I would say there? I would say Jaden Thomas. Oh, his helmet comes off. He has to come off. There we go. We got to answer the question now. Okay. Oh, then you can call a timeout. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I say Jaden Thomas. I mean, Marcus Freeman said he's got to be the guy that you know, when it's man coverage, he wins. He wouldn't say that if he didn't think that he was, that that was an option. You know, Lindsay, of course, you know, Lindsay, fifth year senior. Yeah. You want to be able to go to him. Uh, Merriweather with his size. I say, uh, I say Jaden Thomas. I would throw that beautiful, like angled screen to Tyree um, that, they worked like Tony Jones against Syracuse is like one of my favorite plays that Tommy Reese has ever called. Oh, the, like the circle thing. Yeah. that was Yeah. Really, where they yeah. just do it at an angle and cut yeah. back and like the, the receivers hit at the right time and block it up. So I would go to Tyree, but again, this question is invalid. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next from pro DUC seven losing Keon Keeley obviously sucks because he's a stud, but am I crazy to believe that it's not a big deal? Yes, you are. Can I read, not read the rest of this? Or no, not? you have to read okay. the rest of it. The defensive line has arguably been the most consistent position group, and I can't think of a big game that we've lost in the past five years because of their poor play. 
Positions such as receiver, defensive back, running back, linebacker, quarterback, and even the OL have been more problematic. I don't think this has as much of an effect on the program as missing out on Dante Moore and ignore the CJ Carr storyline around that one. Who starts at Viper next year? Is I mean, is there an is there an automatic choice that starts at Viper next year? Yeah, Keon right, no. Keeley would have been an automatic choice, I would imagine. I, not having seen him on a college field, I, I you know I, I mean I I I, under, I agree with the premise of it that yeah the defensive line has been a constant for Notre Dame during these last five years, but you're losing Foskey and Justin Adamalola, uh, yeah. and Keon Keeley's a stinking beast, man. I mean I don't I. I like what they're doing recruiting wise uh, on the D line, but we're talking about a pure pass rusher and they're losing their two best at end. Yeah. It's like, would Notre Dame have made the BCS national championship game? If Stefan to had stuck with Georgia tech. Uh, no, no, I don't think so. Okay. No, I'm, I'm with you. Pete. I mean, I and, rarely put yeah. it on one guy, but when right. you put it that way, that's pretty important. Well, and Stetson Bennett, notwithstanding. Yeah. If you're going, and look, they did, they did make it with, even though Aaron Lynch transferred just to be fair. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but they had cap. Yeah. No, I think I, I still believe college football, modern college football to win a playoff game and to get there quarterback, defensive line, offensive line, second string defensive line. You guys tell me you're fifth from there. Like that. That's how I rank what you need quarterback. Yeah. Um, defensive line, offensive line, second string, defensive line corners, corners. Uh, okay. Actually, I would put receivers. Probably above second string. You need all line. of that. You need, you need all. all of that. You need Keon Keeley. Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah. You I was say, like, if, you, if you watch college football playoff games and, and like the teams that are winning, they have killers on the outside. Yeah. yeah I, I thought I, Georgia, I, I thought Georgia had a good defensive line situation going on though for that game too. They looked like they, they might've been all right. Yeah. If you have, <laughs> if you have all first round picks under <laughs> defensive line, I guess that's fine. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with the fact that Notre Dame's D line has been good, but you need, you, as you guys, it has say, to keep being that. good. It has to keep being very right. Good. And that's, that, and that's that guy, and that, that, and, and that guy um, that's probably going to end up at Alabama would, would keep them elite at the, at the Viper position question from CMU Pence fan. <laughs> What were your memories of covering the Manti tail catfishing story as it happened? First of all, let's all say where you were when you find, when you heard this, <laughs> That's good. heard about it. Cause okay. you know, like when Elvis died, not that you guys can relate to that, but what Jack, <laughs> right, Jack, right. Jack Freeman, everybody knows where you Elvis were. I was Costello? in, a, I was, <laughs> in, I was 17, maybe 16 working in a supermarket when the ladies coming into shop were crying because Elvis had died. Uh, this isn't quite as well. I shouldn't say that. Where were you when you heard Manti, the Manti Tail story? I was at Panera with my daughter Sloan, who I think was two at the time. Um, my wife Dinah was at a legal sort of development meeting in the evening with the wife of Notre Dame's SID, Kara. Um, and I was like, I gotta go. And so she was unavailable. I dropped Sloan at our neighbors and booked it to Notre Dame. Remind came, me. Go ahead, Tim. I'm sorry. I came back from a jog and had 45 text messages and about <laughs> 10 voicemails. One of them from ESPN saying, can you go on with Linda Cohen in an hour to talk about this Manti Teo situation that I did not know existed? <laughs> hey, remind yeah. me, remind me when it broke in relation to the national championship game. It was five o'clock in the afternoon when I came back from the jog. So, uh, I mean, like, was, like the, like what so the, the game next... was the seventh. Um, Brian Kelly was in Philadelphia on the eighth. This is awesome. That was, uh, I want to say it was around the 13th. Am I off on that? I'm going to look it up while you guys, uh, yeah, I thought talk. it was the week after. after the week after. So about the 13th. Yeah. I mean, I, I literally, I can, I can, I don't remember which day it was. I thought I was coming. I thought I was coming home from. Uh, I was definitely home for a bit at that point, but yeah. See, yeah. so that, so obviously yeah. I was too, but I remember that I, I was with my, with my wife. I know exactly where, what stoplight we were approaching when I heard it. And it's like, <laughs> what, what? I mean, it, it's one of those that you see it and you, you can't believe it. Like the time when I came home, and walked through my garage door and looked up and my front door was laying on the floor because somebody had broken in. Oh, you look God. at your front door on the floor <laughs> and you're like, 
What? Right. How can that even be possible? It was similar to that. I, it looks like the 16th. Um, at least that's when the Deadspin story, I mean, Deadspin, it, clearly the Deadspin story was the one. So January 16th, 2013. Okay. okay. Manti anyway, nobody, dead girlfriend. Yeah, the most nobody, heartbreaking and inspirational story of college football season is a hoax. That is uh, an amazing headline. Okay. That Sorry, is guys, amazing. Okay. CMU <laughs> Pence fan really doesn't care where we were when we heard. His question was, what are memories beyond that were about the catfishing story? Mine was, I had to go find a babysitter. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> this is my, this did, is my memory of it, to be honest. You did a great <laughs> job of answering. You really are, my. That's really my memory of it. And then everything got, and then everything got weirder we, the whole hey, offseason. We were standing around talking about this yesterday outside of practice, actually. And it was like, not, not to say that I or we knew Manti Tail really well, but if we knew Manti Tail, we've been around Manti Tail enough to be sympathetic towards what yeah. had happened because not, I don't know if I want to use the word naive, but we just thought we understood that it could happen to It could happen to Manti tail because he's a trusting, loving human being. The naive is in uh, there too. Naive is in there yeah. too. Yes, from the, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It was, um, I mean, I remember once it hit like the Dr. Phil level, I'm like, I'm out on the story. Like I, I, I have nothing to offer it on anymore. Like as soon as like you sort of talk to teammates and like, could you believe this? Yeah, this is crazy. Like that was about all that I had to cover on that. Um, just cause there, there wasn't a whole lot of other writing to be done. And then you get to the Dr. Phil, Katie Kirk levels and you're just like, this is insane. I will find my editorial from that night because or two nights late, it was after Swarbrick spoke. Well, that was that night, I guess, because I never believed Manti Teo was into the hoax. And I always oh, believed. No way. And yeah, I no. always believed he mildly embellished or greatly embellished. Well, both that's what we were talking about yesterday. That had he not used the term love of my life. Yep. I wrote it had that he night, said, and I believe dear, it now. a dear friend. Had he said a girlfriend. Right. All of it. Because ultimately, when you mm -hmm. say love of my life, you've got to prove that you've met her in person. I mean, it's just so you know, the the reaction now, Deadspin. It's incredibly unprofessional, but you can certainly oh, yeah, understand why everybody's chasing the story. I'm not putting Manti in the more than 5% culpable, but it would have been quelled if he said a girl, a woman very close to me, a girl I've been talking I agree. to. Yeah. I agree, but that's, I mean, I, I still believe that generally speaking, that's how he felt. Yeah, no, that's true. It's And it, you know what? It's easier now that now that the uh, Netflix documentary comes out 10 years later, it is easier now for people growing up or in high school and college to think, Except Pete pointed out now you would see the person because of, you know, Facebook and, and Skype works and zoom and all that kind of stuff. But like back then it was weird to hear like, what do you mean you're only dating her online when he's a college football player that mm -hmm. obviously could find. When did, other when did FaceTime come in? It was around back then, but it never worked. You wouldn't. It must yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, okay. you wouldn't. It's true. <laughs> well, yeah. When I tried to do it, it didn't yeah. work. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, question from uh, star Sevic Frank. Who do you think will have a better career at Notre Dame, Ian Book or Tyler Buckner? Now, if I could first say <sighs> Ian Book <sighs> threw for nearly 9,000 yards, 72 touchdowns, only 20 interceptions, rushed for 1,500 yards plus 17 touchdowns, and the and the the stat that that we all pin on quarterbacks, he had 30 wins as a starting quarterback. So we're assuming Buckner is a three-year starter. Yes, and goes pro. To, to, mat, to match Ian Book's yep. time. And, and Book lost to Clemson, national champion, Clemson, national runner-up, Alabama, national champion, um, a fine Michigan team and a fine Georgia team that we thought was better than fine. But that would be the breakdown of his losses. So better career. That's that's a very subjective phrase. Uh, I Buckner, comparable? happiness pod, Buckner. I mean, I'll go Buckner. I would say, I'll say comparable. I More rushing yards. Hear that more, Twitter? Rush, more rushing touchdowns. <laughs> um, the 72 to 20 touchdown to interception ratio. Uh, I think but that doesn't matter. Would be would higher you, than that. Yeah. Would you agree that uh, he'll have more than 20 um, interceptions, but by throwing downfield more, you have more big plays that you've created for your offense too. Like it's okay if he has 24 interceptions in three years as a starter, right? 25 interceptions. Uh, that's a, that's a good point because he is more inclined. He is more capable of throwing the deep ball than book. Now, Different type of runner, obviously. Yeah. Different, now how, yeah. how consistent he'll throw the deep ball. 
all this stuff, all this speculation about, uh, about Tyler Buckner, like his improvement and accuracy, none of that matters until it, it's, it's done in a game. It's just words until it's done in a game. Yeah, but he also shouldn't be judged on his first game. Uh, well, okay. Completely. completely so completely two, one of two things is going to happen. Yeah. He's going to play well, and I'm going to be told that I'm a complete idiot and don't know anything that I'm talking about. Or he's going to struggle, which is probably more likely just because of the setting in the first start. And we'll then still call they, you an idiot, though. Okay, well, let's go right ahead. And then, and then the then the other side of the coin will be Buckner's not good. He's never going to be good. He can't do this. He's not. He's never going to be accurate enough. I never say he's never going to be accurate enough. I'm talking about all that matters right now. But I just don't want if he struggles. I don't want the extremes, as if I can control it. I don't want the extremes of fans saying he sucked. You can't just walk in. If he walks into Ohio Stadium and plays well and leads Notre Dame to victory, holy crap. I mean, everything changes, but I think the odds are against that. The odds are against him putting up huge numbers against Ohio State. If I, if I could just be really reductive to this question, if Tyler Buckner wins a college football playoff game, he will have had a better career than Ian Book. If he doesn't, it's going to be very difficult to match all those statistics and be a fourth round pick that you've already mentioned and play in two and start in two uh, college football playoff games too. That those, those were fun to cover. Well, if you win one, you've started in two. Oh, right. Right. Well, two different years is pretty, pretty good thing too. That that was be fun. If Tyler Buckner gets to two and wins one or wins a couple. Yeah. Does, does Ian book get credit for two playoff appearances so that, that he would have to match that. You know, I don't know. It's I agree very, with Pete, though. If you win a game in a playoff, that's a yeah. Big, no, I like step. it. I like it. All right, we're going to wrap up with Panthers 23-23. What is more likely, Tommy Reese leads a prolific offense and gets a head coaching gig, or Al Golden leads a prolific defense and gets a head go- coaching job? Or will will both happen? Which coach on the current staff – this is the second part of the question. Which coach on the current staff is most likely to replace whichever coordinator departs? I don't I mean, have an answer for that part. I well, think they would Jared, get another coordinator. Jared, Jared Parker's the only. I think they would get another coordinator. Offensive guy. Yeah, I, I I agree. But Jared yeah. Parker has coordinating experience and nobody else does on defense outside of Golden. I feel like Reese is more likely to get a head coaching job than Al Golden. Just, I think Al Golden probably needs a little bit of, you know, career, career rehab, so to speak. Yeah. Like a couple years at Notre Dame are like, okay, you know, got to, got it back together, like might learned a lot from Miami up with the times in modern college offenses in terms of defending them. Um, I think he'd be a really good head coaching candidate, um, but probably needs more than one year to prove it. I would think. Yeah, I would not see golden leaving after one year short of 14 and zero, and they shut down Alabama in the playoff game. And you know, where you're just, obviously you have to hire the guy like that's Al golden was not, I don't think Al golden's leave after one year, but I don't think he'll be here three. That's kind of a weird way to say it, but I would be surprised if Al Golden's here for three years. I'd be shocked if he leaves after this year. Yeah, and I think Tommy Reese's path is NFL offensive coordinator. Yeah, I agree with you on that. So you take head coach out of it. And then college head coach. Uh, Unless somebody wants to step out and make him as a college head coach, but it would probably be a program that was really struggling. Uh, But I I mean, I, you know, I'd, I'd really... I'd like to see what Tommy Reese can do as an offensive coordinator in the NFL because I think he's going to be—he's going to be really good. I think he's in the process of doing that right now. Um, but I—but I think Nordin would go outside the program for both of those hires, don't you? For sure. <clears throat> Probably so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're going to wrap up there. Um, it's our third podcast of the week, including a uh, recruiting podcast with myself and Kevin Sinclair. Check that out on. Irish Illustrated, if you have not, we will be, uh, man, next time we, although I guess, Tim, you and I are going to have an instant analysis. It's our last instant analysis of 25 minutes of practice. Name something in our industry that is more exciting when it starts and more ready to be wow. the hell done with it when it ends than practice viewing in August. August yeah. camp beginning is pretty awesome. And man, oh, man it is time for a game to be played. Well, when you get a, when you get a full practice, 
it's great. Oh yeah. I mean, you yeah. feel like you feel we like you really that, yeah. saw something and you just don't like a lot of people have said, well, you're not commenting on the quarterbacks. We're not, we're not going to say a whole lot about quarterbacks when the whole time that we're in there, they're throwing student managers. And, and if we do, it's a problem. If you recall. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yep. Yeah. Very no, true. I was told anyway, it wasn't a problem. So we will, we will be uh, next time we do a, a Irish illustrate insider podcast, it will be game week. And uh, Marcus Freeman will meet with the media at 12 and, per usual, or as we did last year, uh, we'll get together. The three of us will convene shortly thereafter and kick off Notre Dame, Ohio state week on Monday with a podcast. Thanks for joining us. This has been Irish illustrated insider.